Oh, I think uh, immigration's terrible. It's it's, it's it's totally frustrating. You can't get a job here at all because all these people are just coming to our country, taking our jobs, claiming benefits, stealing our free prescriptions and our medical care, and it's absolutely disgusting. I think it's a good thing as well. I think it's good to have all the different cultures come into Glasgow and experience different people and different cultures and... I think it's a good thing. As long as immigration they come and get education, like we would get education and be part of our culture as well. I think immigration is a really bad thing. Um, people come over here from other countries and they come from places like Romania and Poland and they just come over here and they beg and they, they steal and they just they don't give anything to our economy, they don't work. They just come over here and just take stuff from the government, take money from the government and it's not right. We, we're paying for them. I don't like useless people coming here. I don't like dislike immigrants who just think the immigrant system in Scotland's wrong. Like they can come in here, they can take benefits, and most of them don't do that, but they can do that. Whereas we need to work hard and don't get paid enough, and our country's just rammed the wrong way. UK has a long tradition of giving sanctuary to those escaping persecution and torture and this has saved the lives of many thousands of people who would otherwise have been killed. A report on migration statistics published by Oliver Hawkins on February 26, 2015 and available at the House of Commons Library shows that between January and December 2013, there were approximately 4.9 million people with non-British nationality living in the UK and 7.8 million people who were born abroad. The subject of immigration is a sensitive and often a controversial one. Every day we read about immigration in the papers. In the media, there are very different views about the impact on jobs, public services, NHS, school and communities. This issue provokes serious and passionate debate. I'm Charles Satangana and one of those 7.8 million people who were born abroad and now living in UK. This is my story about what being an asylum seeker is really like. I came from Cameroon. Cameroon is situated on the west coast of Africa and it occupies a surface area of 475,440 square kilometers, roughly six times the size of Scotland, at 78,783 square kilometers. It is a diversified economy. Cameroon is rich in natural resources and it is a transportation hub for goods going to Chad and Central African Republic. Yaoundé is the political and administrative capital and the economic one is Douala, which is the largest city and the industrial center of the country. Before coming to UK, I was working as a journalist in, um, in Cameroon. I started working for a uh, sport magazine, a uh, newspaper called Football Elite, and I was reporting on basketball because I love basketball. And after a um, couple of months, and I was called to join the first financial and economic magazine. That was the first one to be launched in Cameroon. So I joined that magazine called La Sentinelle. Uh, so I started to work and 
uh, was not too bad, but we end up with problem where the um, the editor have to uh, um, to leave the uh, the newspaper and go overseas without even inform us that he was leaving. So and I was. Uh, Jobless and keep doing the freelance and after after a couple of months I joined the uh, one of the uh, the biggest independent magazine uh, newspaper the equivalent of uh, uh, the Sun or the Daily Record here in Scotland or the Sun in England uh, called Le Messager that was the main the main one so I was working on the economic text reporting of economic and financial affairs or stories uh, quite interesting you know and I did a training uh, the inside training and how to uh, how to read the budget, how to read the uh, uh, the financial market, how to read the business in companies, and it became uh, more and more interesting. So I really enjoyed the work I was doing, meeting you know CEOs, meeting uh, general managers, meeting businessmen, going around, uh, being invited to a uh, lunch or a luxury dinner, and also discover exactly. Uh, the, the reality of people, so yeah, that was quite interesting. I worked for the uh, for La Sentinelle for uh, three years, and within the three years, my work was very appreciated, and I ended up working as a, uh, a junior consultant for the World Bank and also for the IMF because I always I report and write articles again um, about the uh, the work that the World Bank was doing in Cameroon. I realized that the uh, what the government was saying, uh, in, uh, for example, what the minister was saying in the parliament and what the report coming from the World Bank or the, uh, the IMF was totally different. I mean, in a meeting between the IMF, uh, IMF expert um, and the government, the way deal put on the table and when back on the ground, so the government didn't actually realize what they said that they are going to do. So this is where I start to write and criticize that. You say to the IMF, you're going to do this in the next six months, but if only the next six months, seven months, eight months, nothing is being put in place. And uh, many of the uh, government ministers didn't like my criticism. The Republic is dominated by a strong central government and long-standing and a long-standing president. Mr. Pobre has been in power for over 32 years. Human rights problems persist despite some improvement. However, very high level of corruption, poor infrastructure and inefficient government create a difficult business environment that limits economic growth. In Cameroon, the incumbent regime does not tolerate criticism and investigative journalists have been put to silence many times and unlawfully detained without charges. As an investigative economic journalist, I expose alleged corruption detail of some high-ranking official. I had specific detail allegation of some government minister and close relative of authoritative presidential family and military official. I recognize that I also exposed the inefficiency of the government to create the country economic growth, all for the good of the public interest. In a country where journalists' criticism are not welcome and press freedom under state control, but the problem is that we always send, because in Cameroon, when you want to interview a minister, you have to send first an interview. And you have to knock the door and say, okay, we want to interview about this and this and this and this. So you send the interview, but they don't care. They have a communication department, uh, the communication officer, 
sometimes because coming from the independent uh, press, they don't normally deal with. They prefer to deal with the state-owned newspaper, so it's kind of uh, communication. So they want us to just read the press release. But and on March, March after in, uh, celebration of the International Women's Day, so I was uh, uh, at the end of the uh, the, uh, the conference out of the uh, the building. So I was called by uh, someone, I presume it was a police officer, single. Again and politely asked me, Charles, can you can you come with me? I said okay. Uh, I knew I knew that this guy was was a police uh, a police officer, so we went and not at the uh, police precinct, but we went at the uh, military police uh, office. That's where I realized that there was something, you know, there was something very very unusual for me. They took my tape record. One of the officers was listening to my tape recorder. He didn't know how to manipulate the uh, the digital tape record. Another one was reading my notes and breath. They put all my all my back on the table and to look everything that was inside. And then the guy who took me was on the phone and he told me, Charles, okay, you have to stay with us because we got we received instruction. I said, who? Which instruction? I was still reacting as, you know, normal person, as a journalist, as you know, someone who believe in the freedom of speech. But the second I received a slap on the face and a kick on my palm, I realized that this, right, I can't fight this guy. I just have to stay calm and leave my body, you know, to do whatever I want to do. But I was very scared. My first thought in my mind was that this was going to be a long day. Uh, no one from my family knew exactly where I was at the time. And I became more and more suspicious by what was going You know, The, um, the guy who came with me, uh, that he came at the end of the ship and they changed. And I saw how uh, one of the, uh, the military officer was, you know, cleaning his gun and uh, looking at me and was saying, uh, oh, so this, so this is the guy who keep writing stuff about the uh, president family. Those the government was not able to buy out, they tried to jail or arrest in order to silence them for good. Following the publication of my investigative stories uncovering corruption and human rights abuses by authorities, I was detained for many weeks and routinely tortured in police cell. I was punched, battered, bruised in an attempt to force me to reveal my confidential sources. Something I refused to do despite all the kicking of my bum and slap in the face and on the back. I realized that it could be the end of my life as investigative economics journalist and human rights activist as a human being. I saw the death coming through extensive torture. All honestly I wanted to do was just to expose corruption and government wrongdoing but ended up but end up in in hell the only and immediate thought on my mind was how to escape this place and go and hide somewhere safe and after recovering from the painful torture i continue to expose exactly what has happened to me in that place in the hands of the interrogators i suffer sleep deprivation 
I was malnourished in military police cell. I cooked diarrhea and was moved from the cell to the military hospital. There, I managed to contact my father and he came to see me. So there, when my dad came, he saw me kind of half naked and with the uh, fluid going. I said, what's going all wrong? You know? I said to my dad, okay, I can't talk. Just be patient. I'll tell you something. And I said to my dad, right, okay, do everything. If you have some money, give this guy. We have to leave this place right now. He said, no, you're in the hospital. I said, no, we have to leave this place now. Don't even think twice. So when the nurse came, you know, do the round, take some detail. And when I said to that, see, this guy is there. He's got to bring me it. Just give him some money, you know. And this guy was looking, you know, kind of... So that gives him some money. I think less than the uh, you've been less than um, twenty pound. Uh, that, that was in Cameroon currency. So God put it the money in hand. Say, okay, I, I need to take this guy somewhere else. So he told me, right, I have to take you back in the van, and because I have to sign to leave the hospital, that the two guy brought in, I'm taking them back. So this have a lot to do. So we went back uh, in the van, and then he stopped the van at the gate. Uh, and his son, and he drove again, stopped out, and you know, I said, Okay, you're free to go. I don't even know your name, but I said to him, Okay, I don't know what will happen to you, but I was more interested to find where that my dad was. My dad was not too far from the, the gate, so I just went to my dad's car. I said to my dad, Please just drive, drive away from this place. So I start to tell that exactly what happened. Honestly, what was in my mind is that I was a dead person, that um, that's something who. Uh, what happened to me and nobody will know and uh, I was just thinking I will come die here I was not even thinking of escaping because at that time there's there's no way to escape them you know because you are on the ground and you have to come up uh, for the fresh air or if they, they need something to be done in the office but you can't run in the office because they know because you are the only one just wearing your boxer and everybody can know that this guy is, is, is being detained here and uh, it was terrible, terrifying, and seemed guns around. After spending some time in hiding and recovering from the ordeal, my dad told me he was no longer safe around and it would be best for me to leave the country. He told me he knew someone who was one of my um, sister ex-boyfriend and was doing business going around especially in France and Germany in UK to buy second-hand goods and to bring them back to Cameroon and to resell and he told me I think he could manage to help me to leave the country and go somewhere safe and recover from what had happened to me it all went fast as I was very scared and didn't really know how to organize all this but I was on the plane on route to the UK I left behind a devastated family and work colleague I was uprooted from my loved one my parents my kid the work the dream I have as a journalist and also someone who, uh, whose job was to reveal the truth and just telling the truth and to inform 
readers and the population. My dreams were burned and destroyed by the torturers. I arrived in UK where uh, I definitely I was helped to seek asylum. And that was on May 2004. I became an asylum seeker on, on, on May and um, I was given a reference number A122279296. I can't, I can't still remember that. I still have my, uh, my asylum seeker uh, card. I had to show during the interview with the immigration officer at Solihull Immigration Reporting Center in Birmingham, uh, where I saw asylum, that I have a well-founded fear of persecution after fleeing Cameroon, a country ruled by a regime with no regard to fundamental human rights. It was a four-hour screen interview full with stress, anxiety, and uncertainty. I have no idea what was going on, was being questioned, and um, bringing back all the bad memories I had back home, and some good ones. Very strange. It was for an African man, use of the warm weather, to be here in the cold one, despite the presence of smiley ladies. Everything was different. I was moved from one room to another and given tea and biscuits time to time. Uh, after the screening interview, I was called to another room and asked to follow someone to a white van outside the building and I was taken to a different residence where I was mixed with other people. I presume be in the same situation like me. Like me, many come to this country for different reasons. The UK has a long tradition of giving refuge to those escaping persecution and this has saved the lives of many thousands of people who would otherwise have been killed. People come here for different reasons um, because they have no other alternative. They come here to visit, to work or study. Some come here to make this country their home. Others enter and settle here and share value principles and the rules of the law. I've met Fraser Latta, who is the managing director of a law firm, Latta & Co, specialized on immigration and human rights, and asked him his view on immigration. As a solicitor practicing in the field of uh, immigration and human rights law, um, I think that the current um, attitudes of the Westminster government towards issues about immigration are uh, universally negative. Um, the rhetoric across all of the, the major parties um, seems to be opposed to um, seeing the benefits of immigration. Um, personally, from someone who's operated in the area and having had many clients who have maybe come to the UK uh, either seeking uh, protection or coming here initially to, to work or study, I can see the, the cultural benefits, the benefits to the economy um, and, and I think that that's something which needs to be um, considered now uh, by the mainstream parties when they are uh, asking about immigration. Well, well I think um, obviously the, the UK, um, in terms of um, what we have to offer, um, um, Scotland has a proud tradition um, of basically being uh, entrepreneurial, of being great inventors and, it, and it, it's good to have people coming to the country um, and basically following in that tradition and that's why I think you know um, more uh, immigration should be encouraged uh, to try and basically assist with developing uh, areas that um, perhaps we need a, a fresh take on. Um, 
hopefully uh, people who come to the country seeking either work, employment or protection uh, can be rewarded by um, a safe place to, to, to reside, uh, a place where uh, we uh, respect the rule of law uh, and where we have um, good facilities both uh, educationally uh, in terms of health service um, and, and other facilities which many um, citizens of the UK will take for granted. Immigrants who come to the country contribute to the economy as hard-working people. For some, it is an opportunity to live and work here and to contribute to the economy of the country as hard-working men and women. Akuzida is a Kurdish originally from Kirkuk in Iraq. He has been in the UK for five years and during that time he had his asylum claim rejected three times. He was not allowed to work, also not entitled for help from the state. I came to Glasgow and I was suspected to get paper soon and be protected. But uh, after two years and something, being homeless, evicted and uh, be destitute, then I got a paper, so during two years and something, just few months, I have seen very, very terrible life and very, very difficulty. I challenge uh, many, many things that I never think. The number of immigrants in the UK has hit a record 7.9 million. According to a recent survey, three quarters of British want to reduce the number coming in. Public opinion on immigration is more varied and certainly more nuanced that is sometimes supposed. Those who take the most favorable view often regard opponent as backward looking and fearful of change. Those who are most concerned think supporters of immigration are insulated from its more challenging consequences. A recent survey conducted by the Migration Observatory about the Scottish public opinion on immigration has revealed that the overall picture in Scotland is still one of broad support for reduction to immigration and Scotland shows relatively low level of support for reducing immigration among highly skilled workers, students and immediate family members and citizens. Christina McKelvey is a member of the Scottish Parliament and represents the Scottish National Party. She has another approach on immigration. My government in Scotland supports us to give people seeking asylum the right to work because by giving the right to work, you maintain and sustain those skills that they already have. You use them in the gaps where we have skills gaps right now, but you give people dignity and you're also then dependent on the state um, for very meagre um, uh, benefits and in some cases just an Azure card, uh, which is extremely dehumanising. So there's, there's many aspects of this. We have a responsibility as a democratic nation to support people who are fleeing you know, persecution or war um, in other countries, generally countries that, that we have absolutely um, lots of uh, interest in, if not um, unwanted interest, um, in some countries where we are um, involved in what could be viewed as illegal wars, then we have an absolute responsibility to those people who, as a, as a result of that, then seek sanctuary. Um, and that's something that I fundamentally believe in and, and will not be swayed from that at all. We have a responsibility under the UN Convention for Refugees and we have a responsibility, a moral responsibility, to ensure that people are looked after, are cared for, are given the support need, but also allowed to remain with some dignity. Officially, asylum seekers are not allowed to work. 
Cash support is available and is currently set at £36.62 per person per week, which makes it £5.25 a day for food, sanitation and clothing. This support stops after your asylum application has been refused and your appeal right exhausted. Accommodation is provided on a no-choice basis outside London and the South East. I was dispersed in Glasgow from London by the Home Office. With no right to work, I decided to give some time back to the community. I volunteer with the Citizen Advice Bureau in Parkett, where I live and also with refugees communities. On one occasion, my asylum application was refused and I was detained by the immigration officer. In the UK, thousands of asylum seekers are held in immigration detention centre each year. Anne McLaughlin is a member of the Scottish National Party and here is what she thinks about immigration. We couldn't function as a country if we didn't have immigrants from you know so many different countries over the years. We wouldn't function and we require either Scottish people to have lots more children or we require immigrants to help us grow the economy and provide for people like me when we reach retirement age. So I'm really happy when people want to come and live in this country. I'm happy if they feel that they're welcome to come and live in this country. It bothers me though that at the moment it's not really down to us to welcome them. We have to go by Westminster laws and we have absolutely no say in them whatsoever. According to a BBC report on immigration, every year tens of thousands of would-be immigrants to the UK are taken to detention centre while the authorities seek to deport them. I've been detained to Dungavalier in Scotland and then transferred down south border in England at Penang House in Manchester and at Brook House, Tensley House based at London Gatwick Airport, Colbrook near Heathrow and then at Dover while authorities were trying to remove me from the country. I had a lawyer and he managed to stop the removal decision. Live as asylum seeker in the UK is not that easy and enjoyable at all. Once an application is turned down, the asylum seeker loses all eligibility for accommodation and financial support. It happened to me in 2005 during the winter and I was made homeless. It was a hard experience of my life in a foreign country. I was relying on people, handouts and charities donation. It was hard and tough. Ako Zida had a different story. One day I went back and changed lock of my flat, you know, the door, and I was threatened to to deport to Iraq. Um, yeah, my my life and life j just uh, like other uh, asylum seekers or refugees, very very difficult. Still uh, difficult. One thing that we 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 don't know when we are asylum seeker, we thought that if we get paper, everything will be fine and we will we will settle down soon but during uh, the transition still you you might face uh, homeless you might face uh, no money no cash and very lots of suffer isa is from sudan and has been here for a couple of years i came from sudan i've been here five years now i'm still waiting to hear about my asylum application i'm very depressed there is nothing I can do, it's very frustrating. I have no papers, cannot look for a job back home. I used to work with my father until the troubles. Life here is not very easy. Sometimes I spent crying in my room. I know that God will help and all will be fine tomorrow. Estimates from the Guardian report suggest that there are about 20,000 asylum seekers who receive no state support 
of whom perhaps 20,000 are surviving on food provided by the Red Cross and other charities. Jock Morris is the co-chairperson of the Glasgow Campaign to Welcome Refugee, a charity that provides support to asylum seekers. I asked him why he has decided to support this category of people. Refugees are people who should be supported. Refugees are people who are running away from from a, a, a horrendous circumstances, asking us for asking us for help. And if people ask you for help, then they, then you should help them. Unfortunately, um, refugees have been used by unscrupulous politicians as scapegoats. Um, they came up with, they invented the phrase bogus asylum. In fact, they invented the phrase asylum seekers in the first place. People were all just refugees in the past. Now they're divided into genuine refugees and, and uh, asylum seekers, and then they attached the adjective bogus to it. It was horrible. It was obvious. Absolutely horrible, um, basically racist uh, abuse of people who are asking us for, for, for help. And we found that absolutely horrible and decided we had to campaign against it. Fortunately, in the country, there are voluntary organizations that provide support to asylum seekers who may have become destitute. Immigration has reshaped British society in the post-war area and in recent years has consistently been at the top of the political agenda. As an island nation with a global imperial legacy, the question of who authorities led into the country and why has a unique tone in Britain. Attitude towards immigration says something about people's understanding of the fundamental relationship between citizens and the state, fairness and human rights. Life as an asylum seeker in the UK is increasingly hard. 